Welcome to Labor Pains Podcast, brought to you by Women Connect and Support. I am your host, Teresa Reiniger. I am a woman that is very passionate and on a mission to help women and men that are struggling with infertility or loss of a child during pregnancy or infancy. I am here to help share stories of the struggles that couples have gone through to inspire and give you hope to continue on your journey to have a family to love. I have talked to so many men and women that have all told me the same thing, that they all felt very, very alone as they were going through the struggles and the grief. I want you to know that you are not alone and I am here to connect you to others to give you hope beyond the struggles and the grief. Hello and welcome to the podcast today. I am just so honored to have a woman on today to share her story of loss and and moving forward with that loss to start a nonprofit. Um, through that. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce a friend of mine, Carol. Hi, Carol. Hi, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me on today. Oh, you're welcome. Like all women, I think it's important that we share our story. And I'm, I'm just so thankful that you are willing to share your story today. So I always start the same way. And I ask the question of you of when you and your husband decided to start a family? Um, I love that question. Yeah. I think sometimes that I, um, in our case, um, which is completely contrary to my personality, I'm, I'm a planner by nature. Um, our first pregnancy wasn't planned. Mm. Um, we um, were recently married and we, we had um, been in relationship for years and had always um, dreamed of a family together. So mm -hmm. it, it, it wasn't, um, it wasn't unwelcomed. Um, we, let's see, we were married. Um, I don't want to age, date myself here, but <laughs> we were, <laughs> um, we were married and um, we found out we were pregnant even before our first wedding anniversary. So oh, um, okay. we were just really getting going in our careers, um, you know, new house, new dog, and <laughs> enjoying life, right? And so then we discovered that we were expecting our first baby. Wow. So no trouble then for sure of infertility, like it just happened. <laughs> yes, we we were very fortunate. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, how did that pregnancy go? All well? That one, um, you know, outside of the um, typical, I don't feel so well, mm -hmm. and the aches and pains, right, of, of having your first baby and watching your body change, we had um, a great 40-week pregnancy. Um, in fact, she was two days late, which is um, in keeping with her personality, 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, she's always just a little bit. Now she's starting to, I should say she's 14 now. And so she is, um, this is my oldest Hannah. And she is starting to become aware of sense of time and actually having an urgency to get places early. So oh, well, good. Um, we're, we're watching a maturing teenager, which is quite impressive, yeah. given the fact that for the last 14 years of her life, getting her anywhere on time was a struggle. So, <laughs> Well, and you, when you have a person like that, everybody's late then. <laughs> you know, exactly. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So good. Good. Well, that's cool. I mean, my first pregnancy was not a problem. My daughter was um, very late, like nine days. But um, it was funny that you said that I was trying to in my head, I was like reflecting like, is she always kind of made us late? Is she like that still? And, and somewhat? Yes. <laughs> it's interesting <laughs> that you said that. I'm like, oh, I triggered something in my head. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So then did you plan on having more when you guys were dating and, and first married? Were you planning on having a big family, a small family? one child what was the plan or was oh, there a gosh. plan there you know there really wasn't a plan um okay. we Just both knew you wanted have, kids. um we knew we, we we knew we wanted kids we both have um each of us have an older sister so we both come from families of of two kids okay. and um not not as though we were keeping score right but two sure. was always a, a comfortable number we knew we wanted to have children and not uh -huh. just a child right so, okay okay um we knew that um having a family with multiple faces was ideal okay um yeah so then how long did you wait before you did you plan the next one I should say <laughs> <laughs> we did right I did. So, okay you know, we, I, I got into the um to the rhythm of planning everything planning when she would eat and sleep and <laughs> you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so then um, I think maybe a little bit presumptuous, I thought I could plan when I was going to have um, our next child. Okay. And um, I, you know, we talked about that. My, um, my, my sister and I are two and a half years apart and John mm -hmm. and his sister are about the same in, in age difference. So, you know, we wanted that, um, that closeness in mm -hmm. age. Sure. So as we were, um, I guess, planning then, right, our um, oldest was, oh, let's see, about a year and a half old. And we uh -huh. thought, oh, you know, maybe this isn't so bad. We're sleeping again. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember those. <laughs> yes. I, okay. So, That's a good determining factor for having another. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Rest. And, and, right, rest. Yeah, very important. And so then, yeah, we did. Our um, our second pregnancy, we planned. And we, mm -hmm. of course, were very excited when we um, found out that we were pregnant. And um, we were expecting a baby to be born um, in July. So Hannah would have been right... Um, just a little over two at that time. So, you know, we thought, oh gosh, we did it, you know, two and a half, almost, mm. you know, between two years and two and a half years, we, we did what we wanted to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and as a planner, you're probably like, yes, 
Yeah, yeah. I thought, <laughs> oh, good. I'm so good at this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. And so how did that pregnancy go? So that was our loss. Um, oh. our, um, our expected pregnancy. Um, in fact, when, when we had scheduled an ultrasound to go and, and see this new baby for the first time, we actually scheduled the ultrasound on Hannah's birthday, mm. February 14th. So she was our Valentine's Day baby. And we went, um, of course, had this scheduled. And um, we didn't make it that day. We didn't make it to that scheduled appointment. Um, and, and how far along were you at that time? Um, 18 weeks and six days. Oh, so, so you were pretty far, pretty far along. Yeah. 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 We um, had, you know, the whole day centered around it. This was um, Hannah's second birthday. We had the whole day centered around her and, introducing her to, um, you know, her new baby brother or sister by letting her see this um, little person on a screen. Mm -hmm. And I started having um, complications that day and called my doctor and um, I I went on into the office where, um, where I learned that I was already in active labor. Wow. So what kind of complications or what were you feeling that you called? Um, well, a little graphic, Teresa. So, um, I okay, well, we don't, we, we don't have to go into it if you don't want to. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm okay, okay with it. So, um, I, I actually have never really experienced, um, labor pain. So contractions have never, um, been something that my body associates with pain. Okay. And, um, so my, my oldest Hannah, when, um, I was in labor with her, I was seven centimeters dilated and had never felt a contraction up to that point. Oh my gosh. What a lucky girl, I guess. (laughs) Sort of. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, with, with that comes, comes a little bit of, um, quick labor, right? Yeah, so very um, quick. Hannah's labor was extremely quick. Um, then our second um, labor process was also extremely quick. So I, I walked into the doctor's office, discovered at that point I was um, nine centimeters dilated. The reason mm. I went in that day was because I um, thought that I had passed my mucus plug. Okay. And that was the only, or at least a a part of it. And that was the only um, indicator that I had that anything was wrong. Mm. So of course I called the doctor, went in and um, left John and Hannah at home and told him, just wait for me, I'll be back. And Hannah was going to take a nap and we were still going to, you know, do the, birthday plans that we had already made that day we were gonna you know theoretically still do the ultrasound and still um go to Chuck E. Cheese that was you know when Chuck E. Cheese was still a thing sure (laughs) fun times yeah yeah so um I remember driving to the doctor that day and 
I called my mom and I just gave her a heads up. You know, I said, um, just say a prayer. Mm-hmm. I just feel a little uncertain about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it wasn't long after that, that then um, the doctor was helping me first called John and um, later that afternoon we were calling our family mm. with, you know, different news. So at that, that point there was no way to slow down or stop what was happening. Well, um, I mean, you were pretty far, nine centimeters. Right. So, and that's the interesting thing because at this point I, I thought I was carrying one baby, but in reality I was, um, pregnant with twins. Oh my goodness. And so when, um, when we learned I was in active labor, they, uh, my doctor helped me call my husband. She held my hand. She reached into my purse. She dialed the phone and, um, we only lived a few minutes away from the doctor's office. So he was mm-hmm. right up there and, she brought us in to the room to do an ultrasound in the office. Mm-hmm. She wanted to see, uh, I, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but I'm assuming she yeah. wanted to make some determinations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we were going through the ultrasound, we saw our baby, and then we saw another of our babies. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and the the doctor's disposition changed in that moment and, and she indicated to us that we would have to deliver. There was no way to stop that. Um, mm. of course at this point there there is no medical intervention that the doctors were allowed to do um, to prolong our, um, our pregnancy at that point, Mm. um, just be just based on the age of gestation. And so she explained to us that it's possible that if we deliver one baby, the labor will stop. Mm. Um, and so with that plan, or I, I don't know if it would call it a plan, I guess with, with that, (laughs) Uh, possibility in mind, uh-huh. right? We we set off for the hospital, okay. And um, then labor commenced, and um, we weren't able to stop our labor, mm. and we delivered both of our sons that day. Two boys. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was not in the plan at all. Um, just knowing, you know your personality. And I mean, that just the thought of them being so little, and then just totally out of control, like, you're not in control anymore. The babies are, it's in God's hands. Really, what's what's going to happen next. So they were both born. You know, I don't know how else to say this, but alive. And how did how did they do? Um, Well, they were both born, um, they, they weren't ever alive together. So, okay. um, Kale was born first 
and he um, he lived for 15 minutes, um, and he was. I describe him um, as well. He fit, he fit in the palm of my hand, mm-hmm. and um, he his features were already defined. You could see that he resembled his sister. They had the same cheekbones. Um, of, of course, um, his skin is um, very um, translucent. Mm-hmm. Um, but all in all, you could see his arms and his legs and um he was he was um perfect he mm. was perfect just not ready yeah just too little mm-hmm. just too just, little just too little um, so 15 minutes 15 minutes and so we actually had a little bit of time um with with him even after he passed and um then labor started again Mm. And then Nathan was born. So the doctor was hoping that once Kale came, that the labor would stop. Yeah. Is that what you indicated? Yeah. But it didn't. It didn't. It didn't. And so we really didn't have a lot of time between the boys. Um, Of course, there's never enough time, right? Yeah. Um, Oh, my gosh, no. But Kale... um, Kale was with us and, and we got to hold him and um, just love him um, in that moment physically with physical touch. And that was very mm. meaningful for us. Yeah. And um, similarly with Nathan, when, when Nathan was born, he, um, he actually weighed a little bit more. He was a little bit longer. He was, um, just a taller version yeah. um, of, of Kale. They didn't look exactly alike. They, they were not identical twins. Okay. They were each, uh, they were fraternal twins. Mm-hmm. And um, certainly um, we couldn't deny that they were brothers, but they, they did um, look to be their own person. They had their own um facial features they mm-hmm. their their body structure was different um to some degree um and that alone was very incredible to me just very yeah. incredible to see the difference um between them the uniqueness of each of them and, and the perfection right the um, the perfection even existed at, at 18 weeks and six days. Wow. Yeah. So then how long did you have with Nathan? How long did he live? He was alive for 19 minutes. Okay. Not much longer. Not much longer. Nope. nope. And so you got to spend some time with him. And then I'm assuming some time with both of them. Yeah. And, and at that point, um, we were, 
we were advised, right? The, the doctors came in and um, we had our family come in to be with us. And we did ask to see the boys again, even the next day. Mm-hmm. And of course, the doctors in, um, in all of their wisdom, right? Helped us understand what the differences would be prior to seeing them again. Mm. Um, and I think that we had a lot of questions, um, even during the labor process, we had a lot of questions. What what would they feel? Um, would they be in pain? Would they suffer? And, um, of course they, they were born with absolutely no lung development. Right. So yeah. In, in my head, as this is being explained to me, as I'm trying to process all of this, um, I'm thinking about what happens when you take a fish out of the fishbowl and trying to understand that um, this is processing what that reality is going to be like. Mm-hmm. And so um, they never physically appeared to suffer, um, which was so comforting. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as a mom, we never, that's probably one of our biggest concerns is our children hurting, suffering, feeling pain. You want to protect them from all of that. And so even, even with that situation, I can totally understand all the questions and your thought process through that, for sure. So were you able to, a lot of times they do pictures. Do you have pictures of Kale and Nathan? Yes, we, um, we had a volunteer from the hospital came in and did the pictures for us and we have those and um, we delivered at Anderson Hospital in Maryville, Illinois. That's where we lived at the time. Mm-hmm. We had um, their their angels are on the wall there. Um, they, the hospital, I don't know if they still have this in all honesty, Teresa, but when, when I was delivering my kids, <laughs> yeah, they had a footprint wall. And so you would um, put your new baby's footprint on the wall um, before they, you I, were discharged. Do I they still think, do that? I think they either it's a footprint or a handprint. I know they have something on that first wall. It's not been that long ago since I've been there and, they have a wall for sure, and it's probably is footprints, but I'm not positive. With with the names, I think the names are under yeah. Yeah. under them, and, and their, their dates. date of birth. Yeah, yeah. their date yeah. of birth. Yeah. I think so, that that might all still be there. Yeah. So um, we were, um, you know, it was a very surreal experience for us, of course, Mm -hmm. but the hospital was prepared. Um, They were prepared to some extent, you know, we had, I don't want to say mishaps, right? There are, um, there's always somebody who says something 
Um, and then they stop and they think I shouldn't have said that, yeah. um, you know, that's forever. That's everybody here and out. Um, but, we're human. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but our hospital sent in, um, the share coordinator actually. Mm-hmm. And I, I met, um, Casey in that, um, in my hospital room, she came in and she visited with me. Um, my doctors came in. I, I was a patient at a practice in Maryville and my regular doctor was not present that day during, Mm. um, the appointment or the delivery. Um, her partner was there and, um, felt, I should just say one of the most genuine experiences, um, I've had, um, to just have a doctor hold your hand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, my attending physician was incredible. Um, But I had this relationship with my regular physician. Mm -hmm. And so she came to see me the next day and she said, you're not my patient. Um, You know, you, you, you're still the patient of, of my partner, but I just wanted to see you. I just wanted to, I wanted you to know that I know and, um, that we're here for you. And so we received, um, we received that care from our physicians, the hospital, um, the share program was there. Um, the nurses, um, of course they, they do subtle things to not draw attention to a third Mm -hmm. party who doesn't know anything. Right. Um, but they certainly did have in place the procedures, the protocol to, and I forget what it was. They hung something outside of the door that signified mm-hmm. to whomever walked in that, that we didn't have a baby in the room, that we actually had a loss. Yeah. And so everyone who approached us, approached us the way that we needed to be cared for in that moment. And I was very grateful for that. Um, We even asked to meet with um, a psychologist at that point, because here I left my oldest baby and I told her, mommy, you'll be right back. Oh my God. (laughs) Right. And so I was um, very concerned. I was very concerned about her and how she would process. I wasn't able to process. I didn't know how she would be able to process. And how do I explain to her that um, there's no longer a baby in mommy's belly? And how do I do that without creating this relationship with my two-year-old who now thinks I'm a liar, right? Yeah. (laughs) So I I had a lot of questions and um, the hospital sent in one one of the psychologists at the hospital, he came and he sat with us and he answered our questions and um, kind of helped us prepare, right? Because once we left that hospital, the first place that we went yes. to was the funeral oh. home. I didn't even go home. We went directly to the funeral home and um, actually not the funeral home, 
we went to mm. um, the cemetery because as, oh, I don't even remember how old I was at the time, Teresa, but yeah. here is a, a young woman with a young family. I am now buying right. oh my gosh. plots. Yeah. And um, it was, it was incredible because when we went to the cemetery, um, my parents went and my sister and her husband went. And so we all sat around mm. this table together, John and I and um and our family and we all bought plots that day together um as a, as a family wow okay interesting it just in i guess everybody knew that they wanted to be buried where the boys were yeah and it was um it was never questioned mm. to, to my knowledge, right? I, um, it was, this is what we do. We're family. And it was yeah. impactful to know how um, our loss was not just mine and John's loss. Yeah. It was our family's loss. And the love that was there, you know? You felt the boys, but no one else did. But the love that was already there. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you had a, had a funeral. How did you do during and after that with the grief of the boys? Mm. And having another, well, and having um, Hannah. Ooh. It was yeah. day by day. The day of the funeral, um, it was snowing. And it was mm -hmm. for immediate family only. So we did a kind of an open house at our home later where um, we received overwhelming support. Just hours and hours and hours of people coming in and out and, and um sharing their support with us. But in terms of that grief and what that looked like, I, um, it was so surreal. Um, the morning of the funeral, mm. my milk came in. And um, I remember in that moment thinking how mm -hmm. awful that was. Um, because here I was going to go bury my children mm. instead of feed them. And um, that, I, that's yeah. kind of what my grief was like, right? Every, um, every time I thought I was doing something, I was yeah. reminded that I wasn't. And so the grief was so much um, a loss of the opportunity, right? It, the, the loss of yeah. our plan, the loss of what we um, had wanted to experience in the relationship yes. that we wanted to build. The future you had envisioned. 
for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was um, it, it was a faith building mm-hmm. process for me um, over the course of years. Um, it was um, for me my grief process was like having really big boots on um big muddy yeah boots <laughs> and um it felt heavy it felt um overwhelming mm-hmm. at times i remember one day and um early on in my um in my grief i wrote about this day and I remember my mom and dad came over to play with Hannah while I showered and um, I got out of the shower. I looked in the mirror and I, I barely Mm. recognized who I was. And it took me a moment, took me a moment to, to look in the mirror and to realize that there was a change that I had changed um, that I was different Mm -hmm. somehow. And um, then I could hear Hannah laughing in the other room as she was playing with her grandma and grandpa. And I knew I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready to laugh. I wasn't ready to, Mm -hmm. to do much. And every day, same thing, right? You just wear those boots. Um, they're on you and you wear them and, and that mud dries a little bit and it gets a little bit um, lighter, little chunks of it fall off at a time. And I remember a few months went by and a lady at church pulled me aside and she said, it's Aww. nice to see your smile. She noticed. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me that I didn't realize I wasn't smiling. And I also wasn't afraid to smile anymore. And so um, I, I think that, that back and forth, right, the... Um, can I fully experience a positive day or, or can I have a positive experience and feel that joy that I felt mm-hmm. before the loss? And I think stepping back into that and um, rediscovering how to live in the fullness of joy. To me, that's yeah. what grief is. That is, um, how can you continue to honor and to love and to remember and still feel joy? And so over the years, that process um, has taught me sure. a lot. You know, it's, it's taught me that mm-hmm. it doesn't happen overnight. Um, it doesn't happen mm-hmm. when you want it to. 
And just because you feel better one day doesn't mean the next day is going to feel as good. There's always those triggers. It's a back and forth, up and down. Yeah, yeah. The grocery (laughs) store, right? The grocery store is always one of those places. And why is that? Yeah. um, For me, it was because probably my, the time that I shopped, right. Was, um, mm. when all the other moms were shopping because we had to get all of our groceries bought before it was time okay. to put our kids down for a nap. And so at every aisle mm. you see another mom and, um, they might have more than one child in their cart or they might be pregnant. Sure. That makes sense. I could see that. That might just be a, a place here for me to note. If you know someone that has had a loss, that would be a great thing to help them with, to avoid that. Do their grocery shopping. Yeah. Do their grocery shopping, yeah. Yeah. Or be willing yeah. to go with them, right? There's, um, and, and I say that because I remember... Um, I adore (laughs) old men. I adore their lack of um, the social expectation boundaries, right? I, I, filters, yeah, right? I love the fact that they're willing to have goofy conversations with young kids. Um, They're, they're willing to engage people in life. Um, They're not, hidden behind their cell phones or their computers. They don't (laughs) care. They probably don't even have a cell phone. All they want to do is go to the grocery store and have a conversation with someone. And so those conversations scared me. I was worried that someone would ask me, um, Mm. how many kids do you have? That was a hard question. How many kids do you have? Right. And, And how to answer that. Um, that was always a hard question. One, um, once someone told me that not everybody has the right to know the answer to that question and, um, and your story, right? So learning that, sitting and, and talking with this woman who mm-hmm. had lost two babies Um, We were in a share meeting and I got to know her over the course of the month. And she told me, she said, that's your story. That's, that's your information. You don't have to share it with people Mm -hmm. that you don't want to. And that was empowering. That allowed me to shape the answer differently. And so, um, after after my youngest was born, it was a lot easier to answer that question the way that I do now, which when people ask me, how many kids do you have? I say, I have two kids at home. Yeah. Which is yeah. true. I just have two more in heaven, right? Waiting for Are me. Are there a times, like you said, that... You may say that all of that, I have two kids at home and two in heaven, depending on the person you're with. Um, okay. I am not okay. that brave. 
I'm not that brave, but I'll tell you who is, and that's my youngest. Um, my my youngest was born um, a year after the twins were supposed to be, and um, I tell her all the time, if Kayla and Nathan were True. here, you wouldn't be. Mm. And um, so she is part of who she is, is mm. their legacy. And she yeah. wants everyone to know that, <laughs> yeah. which, is, which is incredible. You know, sometimes I'm like, oh, we can't, we can't say that. This is, you know, it's, oh, this is going to require a very long story. Um, but she has no problems about it. Her friends will come over and um, they'll say, everyone always asks, is it true? Is it true that Jaden has two brothers in heaven? Yes, it is. It is very true. Um, sure. And kids are interested to know, right? Um, they want to know the story. They Kids and how they respond to the story and to the loss um, so sure. different than yeah. how we respond huh. to it. Interesting. As adults. The curiosity, is that? Curiosity, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think kids don't understand mm. the depth of pain that goes along with that. So they're more sure. willing to talk about it, right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned, so I want to just elaborate a little bit on what you did, anything more that you did, and you kind of mentioned it um, through the grief, and you talked about writing. So you journaled. Um, what else did you do? I think you mentioned um, the SHARE organization. Um, mm -hmm. I think when we yeah. previously talked, you talked about reading a lot. So were those the, the main things that you did to help you besides the grief, the share groups? So reading, journaling, and you had su support, you know, it was obvious that you had a lot of family support. Is that pretty much? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I spent a lot of time reading, not for comfort, Okay. for answers. Um, my reading was very... Um, well, I started reading the, um, textbook, the wow. psychology textbook on grief. I wanted to know what it is, how to do it. If I could just understand what it is and mm -hmm. how to do it, then it would be easier. Right. Um, I could get through this cycle of grief. Right. And I started journaling to label mm. what stage of grief I was in thinking, you know, early in my grief that, oh, stage one was on <laughs> okay. Monday. And so two weeks from now, right? Uh, oh, oh, I'm at stage two. You I, know, I, I think I all of that milestone. is part of your personality. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Yeah. But there's others with personalities just like yours that this is so, probably very beneficial for. Right. Right. I thought, well, goodness, if I just check it off the list and I'm done with that stage, yeah. just move right on into that next stage. And then as soon as I hit all the stages, I'm going to be 
done. And when I'm done, I'm going to feel better and it'll be over. Right. That's how I, that's how I understood grief to work in that, in those early days. And oh my. Yeah. Logically that makes sense, but (laughs) that's not reality. Yeah. (laughs) It is not, it is not. So I did, I spent a lot of time and I think that that was, it was good. Sure. Um, that for me, that because of who I am and my personality, it was good for me to understand that what I was feeling, although felt illogical, made sense in some way, shape or form. What I was feeling was part of the process. What I was feeling was not hopeless, but was part of discovering Mm -hmm. new hope. And, um, I spent a lot of time, so I had two different titles (laughs) of books. I had all of my psychological, um, scientific, um, studying about pregnancy, studying about, I was reading, um, articles and and journal articles from (laughs) physicians um, trying to yes, figure out why, why did this happen, right? Um, and so that was all on one side. And that was rewarding in some ways to understand mm-hmm. because I'm a knowledge seeker. But it never provided me the comfort that ultimately I found in the other set of reading. And that was all when I went back to God's word. And when I was reminded of who God is and what he's done mm. and who he's made me to be and how his plan, including the loss, is better mm. than anything that I could have dreamed for myself. Yeah. It's ultimately his his plan. So... It is, yeah, it's his plan. And there was a tension for me as I was reading. And again, it's it's taken years and still a daily battle, right? A daily battle not to do things my own way and to um, to live according to God's plan. But in in those early days, I had to get over the thought that I deserved to be a parent to those boys Mm. because I would be better than God would be. Mm. And it took me a long time. It took me a long time to understand even the tension that that conflict that I was having in my heart. Sure. So you didn't wait too long to have another child. Was she planned? No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I was like, uh oh, this this is the question that no. other listeners are probably wondering. Okay, this one wasn't planned. These were planned. Okay, what about the last one? No. The last one, she wasn't planned. We had planned to start planning. Oh my gosh. When we found out we were pregnant, we were like, oh, how did this <laughs> it just happen? Happens. 
how did this happen, right? Well, <laughs> we all know how it happened, but we, you know, we, we were, we found out we were pregnant with the twins October 30th. Today? Um, yeah. That's today, isn't it? It's today. We're, we're, we're recording on October 30th. We, we yeah. found out we were pregnant. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, we found out we were pregnant with the twins October 30th mm. of 2007. We found out we were pregnant with Jaden mm. on October 31st of 2008. Wow. So yeah. we weren't ready. I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready to take a, a pregnancy test at almost the exact same time and find out I was pregnant because in that instant, I yeah. was shell-shocked, <laughs> right? Um, and at this point, we had met with doctors. We, we knew it was okay. We knew that um, I probably may not be able to carry twins. Maybe I could. Maybe there, there again, there okay. was no real reason as to why. Um, but we... We knew in that moment when we found out we were pregnant with Jaden, I had faith 100% that mm. everything was going to be okay. And um, yeah. I was going to say, there had to have been death, some at certain points, you know, especially at the 18 week, that there was some fear, I'm, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we yeah. got past that, right? So there was that buildup. Um, to that 18 weeks and we got past that and once I got past that I took a deep breath and I thought oh this is gonna be mm -hmm. easy it's gonna be just like Hannah and five weeks later oh, I went on better for four months <laughs> well and you deliver so quickly like you had said so I yeah I mean I didn't go through any of that, but I would think there would be fear like almost daily, like, am I dilating, you know? So, so is that what, yeah. <laughs> what and, was and going there on? Was. That, that was, oh my gosh. Every day, every day. Um, I was, I was scared. It, it was a very low, it, it was one of those places, um, again, looking back in my faith journey that, was pivotal because it was, I was so weak. I was so, and I, I mean, weak, I mean, mm -hmm. spiritually, I was afraid. And I think, I think fear is a good indication um, as Christians that, mm -hmm. that we are weak. Um, and, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I just mean that in those moments when we're afraid, we're, we're not relying sure. on Christ the way that we should. And so I was spiritually weak. I was afraid. And I remember every day I would, I spent hours and hours um, of my day in prayer, um, just praying that God would keep her safe and keep her, um, just give us one more day. And that was my, that was my daily prayer. Give me one more day. Mm -hmm. Give me one more day with her. Give me one more day. And, um, for four months I did that. And I wrestled spiritually, um, with God in that moment because 
I was so hopeless in my answer, thinking that God Mm. wasn't going to do those things, right? I I didn't believe with full assurance that he could do what Mm. I wanted him to do. And um, I I don't know if that helped me behave a little bit better. I don't don't think so. Just the loss in general um, made me fully reserved to the idea that bed rest. And and my doctor told me, she said, this is working. And I said, oh, great. Well, I'm glad it's working. Um, (laughs) When when are we done with this? And she said, no, you misunderstood. It's working. We're going to keep doing what works. And I I thought, oh, that's (laughs) weird. (laughs) Yeah, because once it stopped working, I'm sure um, you could have delivered at any point. Because that was the ultimate right, right. point so, was to keep you from delivering. Exactly, exactly. And um, there was only one time during that pregnancy that I went mm. into active labor. Okay. Um, prematurely. And um, she was 34 mm-hmm. weeks mm-hmm. in gestation at that time. And so, of course, they went in and they, we were able to do the medical intervention um, and stop the labor mm-hmm. using medical treatment, um, which for anyone who has mm. experienced that, um, it's awful, <laughs> right? It's, it's just, yeah. it's, is it it's magnesium that they, it's, um, it's Oh, goodness, this might be right. Yeah. It's been so long, honestly, I've forgotten. But it just makes mm. you feel like you're burning from the inside out. And, um, of, of course, now my family, we're very close. We all talk every day. And my mom and sister started to take turns oh. during that time frame. <laughs> and so my dad um, said one day to my mom, did you talk to Carol today? And she said, no, I talked to her yesterday. I don't have to talk to her again until tomorrow. So apparently I was a little disagreeable, but my, my dad ended up Uh coming over to the house and he said, your mom said she wasn't going to call you today. So I thought I just would come over and see your face. And that's when Ooh. I that's when I, the first time I realized my mom and sister are <laughs> taking turns calling me because nobody wants to be the one to call every day. Um, but that was that was only that was three short weeks. Um, well, it depends on who you ask, I suppose. But it was only three weeks, and um, we actually delivered okay. Jaden at thirty-seven. And, and all was well. So, and of course, with medical. All was well with medical treatment um, and stopping that labor. She had actually had an injection um, that would develop those lungs um, just in case that didn't work. And so um, she was, she was born at 37 weeks and um, (laughs) hasn't stopped moving. That's awesome. Yeah. It is amazing what they can do. My daughter, they had to stop her, her labor. And I, Magnesium could be right, could be wrong. It's been a couple of years for her as well. But um, yeah, that is some 
it works, but it's hard on you. I, I remember her just being, just felt like she was ran over by a train. I don't remember her saying the burning on inside, but just sick, sick, like really bad, bad flu, sick almost. But yeah, I'm sure drugs have mm. probably changed a little bit in that time frame too. Well, I want to quickly, quickly, I know that you have started a nonprofit um, because of the loss. I want you to quickly describe that before we conclude today. And oh, I wanted to say, um, we might need to talk sometime and share this somewhere, how you stay, how you're a mom to a little toddler and on bed rest for four months. That <laughs> oh, I, I'll give you the ten. Okay. I'll give you the ten-second version of that. I had um, it was awful. No one would leave me alone with her. They wouldn't. They they wouldn't leave me alone. So I had this incredible support system, and there were always oh one gosh. or two people at my house um, <laughs> taking care of all of us. Bringing I was eating meals in my bed. Um, I, I got up every other day to shower. So I was very limited. And what they would what allow you to doing. do. And um, <laughs> like... it was, and it was, yeah, well, I, and I'm not so sure if that was the doctors or my husband and my mom, but um, the, no, That's we awesome. had an incredible support system and it, they would come and play with her and be with her. And then every day at nap time, she got to climb up oh, in bed with mom. Good. So um, we snuggled every day, which is probably why she <laughs> had an awful sleep schedule, but yeah, it was okay. Yeah, Whatever okay. it takes, right? You know. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, briefly, yeah. Like our, well, not necessarily briefly, however long it takes. Let's, let's talk about the nonprofit that you started. So in, um, in the search for answers, we decided, well, we discovered that we discovered that mm -hmm. there was no good answer. And for me, that wasn't good enough because ultimately I never would want anyone mm -hmm. to go through what we went through. And I was determined to change it. And so we created a nonprofit named Interwoven Souls Coalition um, and we selected that name because um, the, the concept of, of two hearts being intertwined and um, the, this knowing that even though we weren't physically with Kale and Nathan, um, our hearts mm -hmm. were interwoven with theirs and um, physical distance didn't matter to us in that moment. They are, they are part of our family. They're part of our story. Um, and, and they, they, there's, there's few minutes of physical presence on this earth have probably mm. changed me more than any, um, anything that I'll even know in this lifetime. And so we started that nonprofit in 2009 and every year we have an annual fundraiser on Valentine's Day weekend. And we celebrate. We celebrate mm -hmm. and remember them. 
and the money that we raise during those evenings go to hospitals for medical research for complications arising from a multiple mm. pregnancy and loss and so and, and birth. Um, so th there are, of course, a number of complications that are present um, in, in any pregnancy. I always say that um, our our mindset needs to be shifted from the expectation that every person who becomes pregnant is going to have a 40-week healthy baby. That in itself is a miracle. Everything else um, mm -hmm. are also miracles, right? Regardless of the, um, the complications or physical limitations, emotional, psychological limitations, every person that God mm -hmm. creates is designed perfectly and flawlessly. Um, but that healthy 40 week old baby no. is not the norm. And there's all of these pregnancy complications that are out there. And of course, our doctors do everything that they can to take it on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, what is new to that woman? Um, what is unique to that biological family? What was the first pregnancy like? Um, were there prior losses? Um, so our doctors are, of course, shaping those things. And they have, um, over time, collected data and theories about what will work and, and what won't work and if I could only. And so we started to talk to doctors and we started to understand that so many of these doctors that are working with women that are carrying multiples are asking themselves, if I could only, if I could only fix this, then mm. I think I could give them more time. I could get them further along in gestation, right? And that's the goal with the multiple pregnancy, to carry the babies as long as possible. The goal is never to carry a, a multiple yeah. Yeah. to term. I mean, that's because it's, right. <laughs> because it's not attainable, right? So, I mean, it can be, it can be. And I don't want to say that it's not, but the, um, the goal is to get them um, yeah. to deliver healthy babies, whatever that looks like, whatever the time frame is. Um, and, and as complications start to arise mm -hmm. to intervene in those um, and, and change those so that babies can have a little bit longer time in the womb so they can continue to get that nutrition that they need yeah. and, and time, right? There, there's, no, um, there's no better... Mm -hmm. measure than time um, for for these babies and so that's where we decided to start spending our time to help doctors what we learn and at first we made our first gift of ten thousand dollars to the university mm -hmm. of chicago and i i went in um and i felt proud of what we had accomplished but I walked into this amazing medical facility and um, this doctor of decades of experience and wisdom of course was um, very honored mm, yeah. to receive our gift 
And I felt it was so trivial compared to this big hospital that I was sitting in compared to like, what really does $10,000 get us? Right. I mean, thinking about it, I, um, it was a struggle because it felt so insignificant. I know that, you know, you have a, an ambulance, mm-hmm. right. It's going to cost you $10,000 mm-hmm. from a vehicle accident. Right. So I, I know that the cost of medicine is, ex, is mm-hmm. exorbitantly high. And I wondered how the $10,000 would really impact them. That specific gift was used to purchase a specific piece of equipment that they needed to continue to carry out their research. So we knew when we gave that gift, how it would be used and the project that it would Mm -hmm. be um, used on. And we were so grateful to be able to to give that gift. Um, But as I started to really understand the process of medical research, what I learned was that these big funded, federally funded research projects, the, the things that um, make their way to the final journal articles um, are one of the last steps. One of the very first steps is the doctor seeing mm-hmm. things in their regular practice and being able then to start to test that theory. And our money has been used over the years as what we call that seed money that Here's Mm -hmm. a very talented doctor who has an idea based on what Mm -hmm. they've seen and observed in practice. And they need that money to allocate staff time, research, um, equipment, lab space, testing, all of those things that cost money. They need money um, in order to continue to test their theory so they can then write a paper to present um, and see Mm. if it picks up federal funding. So um, we're grateful. At this point, we have raised over $100,000. Wow. And we intend to. That is huge. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, Yeah, we are, um, we're, we're very blessed to have support from, local businesses, um, friends and family, of course. Um, but our corporate donors are the ones who are giving the big gifts. Everybody's giving gifts. Yeah. Everybody is yeah. making sacrifices and I couldn't be more grateful. Um, but our, our corporate donors are continuing to give in large sums that allow us then to provide an event, to spread awareness, to celebrate and to then give back to that's awesome you guys are doing amazing things and even when you said what could that ten thousand do oh my gosh i think with any um any research you know they bought a piece of equipment that's huge you know something that they didn't have before Mm -hmm. but oh my gosh that's awesome. We could probably talk more about the nonprofit, but we should, we should probably end for today. Um, I want to make sure that, I, that everyone knows what the nonprofit is, where to find information on that if there's a website, 
And I guess the, the best thing that they can do is support through monetary. But if you can give that um, website, I guess, is what you have. Again, so the listeners can take a look at that. That would be awesome. Sure. Our web address is www.interwovensoul.org. And I will post that in the show notes so that if, if you did miss it, you can look for it there. Well, Carol, I so much have enjoyed talking to you today. I think the listeners have probably gained so much information, um, some comfort, probably along with that. Um, but I want to just let you take a minute if you have anything else that you would like to share about um, anything that you've been through, um, any words of encouragement um, or inspiration, um, advice that you would like to give. I'd like to give you a minute or so to do that. Sure. Um, I just want to start by saying thank you to you for allowing me the opportunity to share not only my story, um, mm. but the story of Kale and Nathan. It's their story. It's our family's story. So thank you for that. Thank you for listening. Thank you for asking <laughs> um, good questions. Thank you for um, thanks for being willing to address a topic that so mm. many people find uncomfortable. Um, and, and to that, I would say to anyone who is listening, who feels as though they're um, unable to find people to talk to about this, don't lose hope. Um, know that you're not alone. Know that you are loved more than, more than you might know in the moment, more than you're able to feel. And know that, um, I know that there are groups and organizations that are out there like SHARE. That's a, I love um, our time that we have spent there. Um, but don't stop talking. Don't stop talking to your family, your spouse, um, your partner, your, um, your friends. Don't stop talking because you think they don't want to know. Sometimes people just don't know what to say, but I have found that people are better listeners mm than conversation starters. So find someone who wants to listen and allow you some space to share without telling you how to feel or how to fix it or when to stop grieving or when to move on mm -hmm. to whatever stage. Yeah. That's, that's silly. I'm, as I know, um, but just, just know that you are not alone. That's awesome. I could not have said that any better. I don't even have anything to add to that. It's perfect. Yes. Find that person or our group that can help you. And it, and if that, if we can help with that, I'm here obviously, to do that. I'm sure Carol would be open to that as well. 
So I want to, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. And um, I will put all of that information, the nonprofit, in the show notes. If anyone needs to reach out, please do. Thank you again. Thank you again, Carol, for taking the time today to share your story of the loss of the boys and your journey through the grief. I am in awe of the nonprofit that you and John set up in the boys' memory. All the research that you guys are helping with to help those women to carry those multiples for a longer period of time to have healthy babies. And thank you listeners for taking the time to listen. I hope that Carol and I encouraged you. I hope we inspired you in some way. And I hope more than anything that we have helped you learn something. I hope you've thought of someone that this podcast would help. If you did, please share it with them. And even if it didn't, if no one's name came to your memory, please share this on your social media. Because we know that it's affecting someone that you know. They're having infertility struggles or they've lost. They may not talk about it. So if you can share this out on social media so we can connect with those people that you're not even aware of, we would greatly appreciate that. If you would like to connect with me, please reach out to me on Facebook at Women Connect and Support. And in the show notes, is the website for Carol and John's nonprofit, as well as my email and phone number. Know that you're not alone. Through your journey, we're here to connect with you and support you. And as always, sharing a story is powerful and will always inspire others and give them hope.